on his way. Devil is on his way. Devil is on his way, motherfucker. The devil gonna make you pay. Fall to your knees. Devil is on his way. Fall to your knees. Devil gonna make you pay. Fall to your knees. Devil is on his way. Mountain Murderers is an Appalachian true crime podcast with cases spanning the 14-state Appalachian region. Mountain Murderers includes graphic content and explicit language not suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hey guys, welcome back to Mountain Murders. I'm Heather. And I'm Dylan. How's it going? We're just hanging out. What are you doing? We are hanging out. I'm just um, hanging out with my wang out. Yeah, and uh, nobody's going to see it because there's nobody around. It's true. It's I feel like the specials, it's a ghost town. Oh, my God. I was just in town, and um, it's literally, I sent you a text and said it's eerie out here. So now is the perfect time for me to put the outdoor wheels on my roller skates, gear up, and just go skating around town. Is that what you're telling me? Oh, it really is. Fuck yeah. Yes, it I is. I know what I'm doing later today. You should. <laughs> While you're working. Yes. Slaving away at your factory job. Well, you know, I have don't know you guys don't want to think about doom and gloom every time you turn on something, but we Welcome have... to Thunderdome, bitches. You mean like that? Yeah, well, no, actually, that's awesome. Okay. I think Tina Turner killed that shit. Well, I have been trying to perfect my Corona Apocalypse outfit. Is it going to be inspired by Tina Turner in the Thunderdome? Well, I don't know. I mean, I do have this mohawk, so I feel like I kind of have the hair going on. Maybe you, I should go back to platinum or like a silver. Oh, you feel like the purple's too fun right now? Maybe. And then um, I, I've pulled my fishnet top out oh. from the closet. So I feel like that's a good look. When did, yeah, can we, yeah, we need to. times? So we, I don't know. What do you think? Can we model that? Mm. I'll let you wear it. Okay. So I want to be Master Blaster. I, I feel like I'm fat enough to be, um, blaster and i just need a little midget to ride my shoulders okay well we have oh oh a a little person sorry yes you have to be pc i'm sorry Uh, we have children that's true but uh uh, zane's gotten gangly and um legs 50 foot long well that's true but he still only weighs like 50 pounds and he does not realize he's that big so there's that i know my child's body type is totally like gumby (laughs) he's just like really tall and skinny yeah when he turns to the side, he looks like a little sheet of paper. I'm like, how do organs fit in your body? I'm telling you, if we can uh, if we can dial back the child labor laws, I can make a lot of money off his little skinny ass right now. You think so? Like yeah. getting into small spaces? Small t- yeah. They call it spider work, going out on the edge of things and going into tight spaces and things like that. Don't give him any ideas. He probably would be into that. No, but uh, we do all we do want to say uh, we uh, thinking about everybody out there. And we know that a lot of people are being affected. Your I know, jobs financially. Your jobs just instantly put on hold. People in the service industry, hospitality. Money's tight. Money's tight. Shelves um, are empty. Shelves are empty. People are panicking. People are hoard buying, which I just told Heather it's hard not at once you do see shelves empty for a minute. It's even if you think it's wrong, it's hard not to do it because you start it's funny how quickly our minds break down to start thinking about Looking out for number one. And what if? What if? Because now my concern is like the power grid failure or something. Like, oh my God, what happens when we don't have any electricity? Well, yeah. <laughs> All that damn meat some asshole bought is going to go bad, right? Right. But um, then I, I find myself looking at people suspiciously when I go out to the store. Well, now I have been saying we need to plant a garden this year. But now I'm like really, it's amped up that I'm like, we're going to plant a garden. 
Yeah, and do some canning. Do some canning. Yeah, I'm totally down for it. I've never been it. a prepper, but now I'm feeling like that might not be such a bad idea. Well, I think the preppers are just like, uh, yeah, what up now, hoes? You've been making fun of us for 15 years, 20 years. and Since Y2K. <laughs> since Y2K and before in some instances. But um, yeah, so it's it's happening. But we want to keep cranking out some content for you guys because we understand. I mean, we've been home. It gets boring after you've been in the house for days and days. You've streamed all the good shows. You've watched all the good movies. Oh you've my. listened to all the good podcasts. Can I bring up a movie? Yes. That I saw because this is for everybody out there. Please do. If you like strange, different, and gore, you got to watch The Platform on Netflix. The Platform? The Platform is a very odd movie. And once you grasp the simple concept of what's going on in it, you're along for the ride. So you're welcome. That's all I can say. Okay. Got to check it out, people. I actually went back last night and revisited some older films. One you had recommended, The Believers with Martin Sheen. Oh, my God. I'd never seen this. I don't know how I'd never seen this movie Where'd before. Where'd you find it at? Cause it was I on I... Amazon Prime. I wanted to watch it with you, just so you know. I'm sad now. So if you've seen, like, The Serpent and the Rainbow. Yes. Or you're into those kind of occult, voodoo, like, weird kind of movies, this is perfect. I feel like it's a film that could be remade possibly no no it's too classic for that well i just think it's a good plot you it is a great plot but they'd but have to change a few things because i feel like it's probably not super pc well no but uh, you just can't don't do it because you know what happens is you have these great actors and actresses from back in the day that were in strong story writing they weren't leaning on any kind of fancy and of course you know like you I mean you've talked about back in the day people just look normal you know they might have teeth a little snaggled or not be the most handsome pretty polished thing but they're they they're, they're real it feels real real life i gotcha and yeah you just can't do it martin sheen kills it in that movie i mean it was interesting i have to give it to you thanks for the recommendal and i enjoyed that and then i revisited the film from i think it was out in 97 but kiss the girls oh yeah ashley judd morgan freeman Yes. I hadn't seen that for a while. Well, there was... It the, was on Prime as well. After I wrapped up The Believers, I started watching Kiss the Girls again. Well, yeah, they had, two, what, two or three of those come to kiss the girls. Along came a spotter. Well, yeah, it's a whole series. Right. I mean, those Dr. Alex Cross, there's a whole book series, and they made a few films. Yes. And but I enjoyed those books back in the day. Oh, I didn't read the books. I read quite a few of them back around the time Kiss the Girls came out. So it would have been like the late 90s, early 2000s. I was kind of into reading some of those like James Patterson, Dean Koontz, you know, yeah. those types of like thrillers and mysteries. Yeah. Another one back in that time was A Long Kiss Goodnight. Oh, the, yeah. You the, talked about that. Before. Is it um, Gina Davis? Yes. Oh, dude, she's such a badass in that movie. I want to check that. I've never seen that either. Dude, you, I mean, it's, the, it's, it's like, uh, you know, nowadays they kind of sometimes the strong woman element feels forced like they're like what it is is a bunch of guys coming up with a you know strong woman character oh god because okay perfect example of this and we may get some backlash on this because i know people are like obsessed with those john wick movies but the john wick three the halle berry character it's totally forced. watching that i was like what the fuck is that like this you can totally me- tell that this is some dude who's like we're gonna have this female empowered character who's real badass and like came up with this whole like just scripted idea of like what a badass female is supposed to be yeah and it's so fucking cheesy i'm sorry i can't deal with it it's very cheesy and it feels forced it's not natural but you don't get that at all 
out of Gina Davis's performance and the way it's laid out in Lone Kiss Cannot. Charlie, okay, well, Charlie Baltimore is a badass. Our um, movie podcast is going to come out soon. <laughs> Just kidding. Are you ready to get into a great mountain murder story? Uh, yeah, so let's dive right in. Now, I try to pick cases, things that we haven't covered before, like different, I guess, subsets of the true crime genre. And this is definitely one that we haven't seen before. Oh, wow. When you hear the words murder for hire, what images flash through your head? Uh, someone contacting someone who they think is an assassin, but it's really an FBI agent. On Craigslist? <laughs> On Craigslist. Yeah. Well, for me, it's like the John Cusack in Gross Point Blank, like the smooth assassin wearing the sunglasses, the black suit who can mastermind these precise kills in a matter of seconds and just like be out the back door. Yeah, and that's not really how it works out usually. Yeah, however, not all murder for hires are performed by a hitman. Contract killing has been associated with organized crime, government conspiracies, vendettas. But in 2012, Joshua Oberg's murder was not a hired hit by a mob boss, but rather a husband so enraged by his wife's infidelity, rather than divorce her, he would hire someone to execute the man he considered to be her paramour. Oh, yeah. Okay. So you got to go to the assassin store and get one of those, right? <laughs> yeah. I don't even know how that works. I, I always wonder if someone, if when, if any of those actually go through. Because you see so many times they get linked up inevitably with a, a cop somehow. And then they do the un undercover sting. Then they get them on video talking about it and then they just arrest her should i say on this podcast that i feel like i missed a golden opportunity i feel like i would have been a great hitman or like hired contract killer you would have been a femme fatale right no doubt and that's not even being sexist because you would just i guess it's so you're kind of smaller you know a little short cute thing Next thing you know, you're stabbing them in the jugular with a pin. Well, that and I really don't have any, you know, feelings because I'm like a sociopath. Well, there's so I just that. don't feel like it would really bother me. And I mean, if someone's paying me to kill you, then you probably did something wrong. And that's just the way I look at it. Am yeah. I fucked up? Well, yeah, but I, I've been I, in the house too long. I feel like I must say we are not soliciting. We're not putting our services out there. We don't want you to contact Mountain Murders for contract killings. No, not at all. Okay. I've just been in the house too long with too many damn kids. Yes. Okay. In the mountains of West Virginia, there is a small town called Buckhannon. It is about two hours south of Pittsburgh. It's a rural town surrounded by dense forests. West Virginia Wesleyan College with 400 students is located a few blocks off of the main street. It's the kind of quiet small town where... Craft shows and strawberry festivals are, like, the hottest highlights in town. Ooh. Right? I want to go. Really small, quiet town. Yeah. Eerily similar, probably, to, like, where we live. Probably where a lot of our listeners live. Yeah. Sleepy little town. Oh, it's just it's a cute little town. The area's claim to fame was the 2006 Sago mine disaster. Do you remember that? 13 men were trapped inside a mine. No, I don't remember that. And they, they were able to emerge, I and mean, it was like a big news story that they were trapped in there. But it's the heart of coal country. The opioid crisis has hit the area fairly hard, like in a lot of rural communities. It's a difficult place to live. High poverty rates, lack of job opportunities. Well, yeah, and I thought, you know, those areas, it's like all the industry went away, and I just don't understand why we never came up with a plan to bring new industry in. 
you know so you you have entire regions that are like ghost towns for many years now on january 23rd of 2013 a guy named robert eugene siren the third and we're going to be calling him siren throughout the story Ooh, that's like his nickname i guess everybody calls him by his last name he woke up the morning after gambling Staring into his pay packet, he realized the amount was not going to be sufficient enough to cover the vehicle loan payment that was due that day. Uh Clearly a guy who makes excellent life choices. He decided to shirk responsibilities once again and instead buy a six-pack of beer and spend the day driving around drinking. Well, that'll help you get shit figured out. He didn't want to go home and face his wife. (laughs) Wonder why. (laughs) (laughs) I've never felt like that. Ever. During his travels that day, he bumped into his cousin, Jesse Heater, who asked if he could tag along. Siren agreed and bought a case of beer for the two men to share. I mean, these two sound like scrubs. <laughs> so TLC would not let them ride in the car with him. Hanging out the passenger side of his cousin's ride. Yeah. Probably drinking some what, like bush light or something? It's definitely bush light or some natty ice. Natty daddy. Let's talk about these two. So both Siren and Heater have extensive criminal records. Jesse had 2010 charges of nighttime burglary and petty larceny. His criminal history includes four domestic battery third offense charges, all felonies. One of those was dismissed in 2003. Heater also faced three destruction of property charges, a littering charge, and two charges of domestic battery, all from 2002. I mean, this guy... Siren was arrested in December of 2010 after allegedly taking two 15-year-old juvenile girls from Buckhannon Upshire High School without permission from their parents or school authorities and giving them alcohol and marijuana. According to a news story, Siren initially faced four felony charges, two counts of attempted sexual assault in the third degree, and two counts of child concealment. Siren allegedly offered one of the 15-year-olds money in exchange for sex. What the hell is child concealment? I've never heard that one. Is that like if you know where the kid's at, but you don't tell the people where the kid's at? Probably. Okay. I didn't dive too deep into that one. Yeah, somebody fill me in out there. He later pled guilty to two counts of contributing to the delinquency of a minor and was given six months in jail. The sentence was suspended and he was placed on two years of unsupervised probation. The felony charges were dismissed based on misdemeanor pleas. I bet he learned his lesson. Siren was also arrested for joyriding and unlawful consumption in 2001 and possession of a controlled substance less than 15 grams in 2005. So, Dylan, as you would say, we are dealing with two shitbirds. It sounds like little baby shitbirds are trying to spread their wings. Yeah, exactly. Trying to leave the shitbird nest. Well, later in the day, Jesse asked Siren to drive to the home of Joshua Oberg, and Siren agreed. Jesse tells his cousin that Oberg, whom Siren had never met, was a casual friend that he knew from work. Now, what Jesse did not tell Siren was that Oberg was having an affair with Kelly Villagomez Correa, and that's another cousin of the two men. That's a very great name. And that Kelly's husband had agreed to pay Jesse $5,000 to kill Joshua Oberg. Oh, my God. 29-year-old Joshua Oberg had moved from Rhode Island to West Virginia only about a year and a half earlier. Joshua was an employee at a restaurant owned by Kelly's husband, a guy whose nickname is Chino. (laughs) Okay, so you got Siren, Chino, Miss Korea. 
Kelly Villagomez Correa. Wow. This is like a damn. We have a cast of characters. Yeah. It's like a motley crew right here. This is a, yeah, a very big, very awesome motley crew. Jesse and Siren were kicking it at Josh's apartment, you know, drinking beer, talking about video games. Apparently, they all had a shared interest in video games. At some point, the three men went out for cigarettes. And on the way back, Jesse pulls out a bag of weed and suggested that the three go somewhere and get high. Oh, smoking that Mary J. Hey, kids, you want to try some drugs? It's free. It's free the first time. An and after then... school special. There's a tear in the eye of the after school special somewhere out there in the world. Well, yeah, no one's feeling pressured to do it because this special is about peer pressure. Yeah. Yeah. In your, in your late 20s. He doesn't want to do it, but they're, everybody's doing it. So, you know, he feels like he should do it. Roll it up, light it up, <laughs> inhale, exhale. Oh my God. I feel like we should cue up the Cypress Hill. This is making me want to smoke pot and I can't. It's <laughs> <laughs> bad, Dylan. It's drugs are bad, okay? Okay. Siren and Josh agreed, hell yeah, roll up that weed, son. <laughs> I'm just improvising this conversation. I just imagine that's probably how it happens. I got five on it. Yeah. Okay. Because I got high. Jesse directs his cousin Siren to drive to a remote spot in rural Upshur County known as Hog Hollow. I'm like, are you making this fucking story up? Fuck no. Seriously. I mean, it sounds not real. Hog Hollow. What, what? That's where everybody goes to go. Double H, y'all. I lost my virginity in Hog Hollow. Don't <laughs> yeah. judge me. I bet you didn't. I daddy. was young and needed the money. And your daddy took it. Hey, what does a girl from Hog Hollow say when she loses her virginity? Easy, Dad. You're crushing my smokes. No, that's not funny. I'm going to get a sound effect of crickets. Well, that's it. We're just going to plug it in. Hey, I live in the South. I am a damn hillbilly. I get to make hillbilly jokes. Is that a hillbilly joke? That's an incest joke. We got to stop with those. Oh, I don't know. They're pretty funny. Well, not everybody thinks so. Oh, well, look. Be sensitive to victims of incest, okay? Well, that's, well, yes. See, now you brought me back. Be Be sensitive to victims of insects. (laughs) that's you already okay once there the guys pile out of the truck everybody smoked some marijuana and drank some more beer it's a hog hollow party y'all once the beer and weed are gone siren fit not to make out with these guys i guess okay oh no he stumbles back to the vehicle because he's feeling the effects of the full day of drinking plus he's high as hell yeah, yeah, he's ready to go home and eat some damn Doritos and lay down. He's probably ready to just go pass out in the back of the truck, right? Jesse and Joshua were out of Siren's sight, but suddenly Siren claims he saw a flash of bright light and boom, like a firecracker had gone off. And he heard what sounded like a bag of potatoes hitting the floor. Okay. Like a loud thump. Yeah, so, oh, so boom, thump. He don't know what the hell is going on. He hears Joshua ask why several times and heard Jesse respond, that's what you get for fucking someone's wife. Oh, my God. So shit just got real. It got real. A panic siren began running toward the truck, but Jesse, and this is his cousin, right? Tackles him, pistol whips him, and put a gun to his chin telling him that if he didn't help get rid of this body, Jesse was going to kill his ass too. Oh my God, thanks, cuz. Do you think he had the gun like, it was like the side, the sidearm, and he was all like, pump you full of motherfucker, like trying to be all badass? No, they're in Hog Hollow. I don't, I think, I think he was holding the gun upright. And he's like, I'm gonna kill, I'm gonna kill your ass too. 
Yeah. Dumb bitch. Yeah. Well, the two men put Joshua's body into the back of the truck and take off. Gravel flying. I mean, they're just like hauling ass out of Hog Hollow. After passing another vehicle on the road, the two stop and cover up the body with some cardboard. Then the pair whizzes off to Lowe's where they buy a shovel and bleach. An employee in the store who knew them from high school checked them out and jokingly asked if they were getting rid of a body. Yeah, well, yeah, you're getting shovels, bleach, all the uh, all the stuff to move a body. I mean, who buys bleach and shovel at the same damn time, really? Then they go on to buy some more beer. <laughs> because that's really helped their clarity during this entire situation. Fucking PBR, y'all. It's a blue ribbon winner. And they had to use a porta potty. At the store? I, I guess off the side of the road they stopped and used a porta potty. Oh my God. Then they drive to Bull Run Road, which is another rural area with no houses and very little traffic. At Jesse's direction, Siren dug a shallow grave and they placed Joshua's body in it. Jesse used Siren's phone to take a picture of the body, after which Siren filled in the grave and the two men headed to Siren's house. Now, during this trip, Jesse used Siren's phone again, this time to make a phone call in which he announced to the person on the other end of the line, it's done. Why don't people ever dig a proper grave when they're getting rid of a body? I know it's hard work. And why do they use their cell phones to call people? I mean. Well, these two aren't thinking. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm automatically bringing the cousin, this poor guy. He just, you know, went to kick it and hang out and had some fun. Now he's in the middle of this shit. This guy's not thinking about cell phones pinging and any of that. The logistics? He's a dumbass. He's not thinking about leaving a fucking trail of evidence? But yeah, I know it's hard to dig a six foot, you know, three by eight grave or whatever the damn, well, I don't know what the measurements of a proper grave is. Do you? No. So, but yeah, you can at least do like three feet, right? You got to get down there. Here's the way I look at it. When I've buried dogs and cats over the years, you got to get down where the other dogs and stuff won't dig it up. You don't want anybody dragging that damn body up on the fucking porch after the dogs. Well, dug this it is up. the difference in these knuckleheads versus like a professional hitman, an assassin, like the Iceman. Yeah, you got to go. This is how the mafia managed to just eliminate so many people and they vanish and they're never seen again because we've all seen the sopranos these fuckers take time to dig that fucking grave right they they dig a proper grave and then if they find out later that like condos are going to be built there they They go go back and they fucking dig that body back up as we've seen if you watch the sopranos you know and you know if people's really done that and that isn't that crazy right could you imagine no oh they did that in goodfellas they moved the body remember Mm. Oh, it smelled. And then yeah. went by his mom's for a damn dinner. And then he was trying to talk about how they hit a deer. And he's like, you know, it's little paw got stuck in the grill. <laughs> <laughs> like a paw. Anyway. The <laughs> next day, Jesse and Siren began the process of destroying any evidence of what had happened. They took all of their clothing and everything burnable from the truck, put it in a burn pile, and set it all on fire. Jesse's aunt with whom he lived, would later testify that Jesse had a pair of boots that were his favorite boots. He was always, like, wearing this pair of boots. And after this evening, she would never see him wear the boots again. 
So he put he got rid of those too. Well, so he got rid of all his clothes and his shoes. I mean, I guess that shows a little bit of sophistication. Jesse had two Zippo lighters that he had taken from Joshua, as well as a knife with blood on it, all of which he threw into the river behind Siren's house. And although Jesse wanted to burn the truck, Siren convinced him that they would just burn the bed liner, which they did, and they put it in another burn pile. So he's like, yeah, I want to burn your fucking truck, dude. I need to burn your truck now that I've, you know, made you help me get rid of a body and I killed someone. And Siren's like, yeah, I can't pay the truck payment on it. Let's just set it on fire. Yeah, I don't um, I don't have another truck. So if you don't mind, um, I need to keep that one. Right. Yeah. They hid the shovel and some concrete blocks that had been in the truck behind the steps at a friend's home without the friend's knowledge. Okay. They're just like, hey, let's go drop off this shit at our friend's house. Yeah. Fuck these guys, right? Hey, guys, is this your bloody shovel? Did you forget this bloody shovel at my house? They drove back to the scene of the killing where they disposed of their beer bottles and churned the earth up to cover a large spot of blood. They searched for but could not find their spent brass. Okay, so they're trying. Finally, to account for the fact that they might have been seen riding around with Joshua on the day of his murder, they concocted a story about dropping Joshua off at a bowling alley and seeing him get into a green Jeep. All right, so they're ready to never be caught. Okay. On the second day after Joshua's murder, Jesse had Siren drive him to a Mexican restaurant that was owned and operated by Chino, whose real name is Rodolfo Villagomez Correa. Oh, Chino and Kelly Villagomez are also the owners of another Buckhannon restaurant called Santee's, and that's where Oberg worked, Joshua Oberg. But the restaurant had burned down on January 9th of 2012, about two weeks before Joshua had gone missing. Okay. Jesse goes inside the restaurant to talk to Chino, taking Siren's phone with him, and then motioned to Siren to come to the counter because he was having a problem finding the picture of Joshua's body. Siren brought up the picture. Chino became very upset because he couldn't see Joshua's face. Dude, you kidding me? You think I put somebody else in the damn shallow grave? Jesse told Chino that it's him, it's him, and trust me, you'll never see him again. It's him. Jesse and Chino both told Siren that he was part of this now, and if he ever said anything, they wouldn't just come after him. They would come after his son and his wife. Chino hands Jesse an envelope. Of course, it's containing money, which Jesse later takes out about $500, gives it to his cousin with final instructions that you're just going to shut up. It's going to be fine. You just got to keep your fucking mouth shut. Well, no, I'm not keeping my mouth shut unless you give me half of that 5000 So there's that, buddy. Right. Stand so, up for yourself. So you've done the bulk of this work. We've <laughs> used my vehicle. We've used you know, my labor to dig a grave. And then you're going to have the audacity to be like, here's 10%. Yeah. What uh, am I, your fucking manager? I never agreed to be into in this. You drug me into it. Now someone's dead and I'm implicated and I've been my life threatened and the safety of my family. You gonna give me fifty percent. And I don't even know this guy. Yeah, and I mean, I that's didn't my even... thought is like I don't even know this guy. I don't have beef with this dude. Like what the fuck? So I guess he knew he could push push his cousin around. I mean, honestly, you know, he knew his cousin, he you know, they're close, they hang out, he knows what he's like, and he's just trying to bully him. But and murder it, 
But murder will out, as Macbeth famously observed. And six months later, authorities, acting on a tip from a confidential informant, discover the very, very decomposed and partially skeletonized remains of Joshua Oberg. The grave was very shallow, only about four inches under the soil. Some deer remains were found on top of the body. Joshua's body was found lying on his left side with his shirt pulled up with his arms and head inside it. My God. Upshur County resident Melissa Fry purchased the gun from Jesse for $75 and turned it over to police. He stole the damn gun? Melissa met Jesse at Cook's store in Buckhannon in 2012. And as I mentioned, she was working as a confidential informant for the city police. Jesse had the gun wrapped up in a shirt and told her he needed to sell it. He told her he just needed to get rid of it. Jesse later would call someone while he's in her presence and say, hey, I've sold the gun. Oh, okay. Melissa Fry said Jesse kept trying to reassure the person on the other end of the phone that he or she was overreacting to him selling the gun rather than disposing of it in another way. Well, yeah, you should have took it apart. You should have raked the barrel with a drill bit, and you should have put them in separate, you know, disposed of them separately. Okay, that's how you get rid of a murder gun, guys. Once Melissa Fry gets away from Jesse, she goes into Cook's store after she's purchased this gun. She contacts a patrolman with the Buckhannon City Police. This patrolman tells her to go ahead and contact the sergeant. She's never handled a gun, and she's got it located in her vehicle, like, in the floorboard. Okay. She just leaves it there. I guess Jesse had placed it there. She's not touched it. She's not familiar with guns. She's a little bit afraid of these things. But she bought it off of him with the intention of turning it over to authorities. Yes. Okay. Well, good. Good for her. Good for her. So she just leaves it there until police comes to get it. Yeah. So she's got some sense. She's doing pretty good. Tyler Arbogast, another Buckhannon resident, told police that Jesse confessed to him that he had murdered Joshua Oberg. So this is all starting to come out. Well, yeah, it's a small community. I'm sure this kind of, you know, a lot of times these people, because let's be honest, this dude who orchestrated this not a genius, they want to brag to fucking people. You can't tell anybody. That's why I wouldn't bring my cousin into it. Because I can only count on me to not betray myself. Arbogast said that Jesse told him he and another person had killed Joshua Oberg, but he didn't tell Arbogast who the other person was. Arbogast said he and Jesse both were seeing the same woman. He said Jesse arrived at the woman's house one day while Arbogast was there hanging out, and he told him in confidence about the crime. Okay. So this is a fucking weird situation. You're both seeing the same girl. Oh, hey. Hey, dude. I popped by. Some other dude's there trying to make time with my woman. Hey, you done with that vagina yet? I'm just going to casually be like, hey, guess what, y'all? I fucked somebody up and buried them. You might have killed that vagina, but I killed somebody. (laughs) Right? Is he trying to one-up this guy? I don't know. It makes me wonder. I couldn't find a lot of detail if he was telling them. Like, he was telling Arbogast this almost to intimidate him. Oh. Like, oh, yeah, you fucking my girl. I'll fuck you up. Or was he just telling him this as like a, like you're saying. Yeah, Arbogast had a bigger member. I'm like, just going to put it out Like, there. hey, guys, guess what? I'm proud of what I did. Hey, are y'all done yet? Will, will you jump in the shower? I want to try that out. What it, the hell is going on here? I don't know. It seems like there's a small... you got the small town. Either no one can keep it in their pants, or there's just such a like L- limited number of uh, people to fuck 
that they're all just fucking the same people? It's basic economics, supply and demand. I guess so. So if you're lonely, you're single, you're looking for some love, maybe Buckhannon is the place to go if you're like a single female because it seems like there's a lot of dudes there. Well, that's true. And they're just looking for some chicks. Just looking for love in all the wrong places. Seems to be the case. Too many faces. July 24th, 2012, Jesse, Siren, and Chino are arrested and charged with this murder for hire. Kelly Villagomez, who is Chino's wife, admits on the stand that she's been having an affair with Joshua Oberg. Now, when her husband confronted her about it, she told him it was none of his business. (laughs) Don't worry about it. She also testified that Jesse Heater, who was also employed at the restaurant, did not get along with Joshua. Okay, so he he didn't like him at all. Okay, there's, I guess, a little motivate. Still, kill somebody? Stupid. Chino was sentenced to 40 years in prison for second-degree murder. I should also add that he is an illegal immigrant, and many people were upset that he had been deported twice before, but had managed to come back to West Virginia without any problems. What are you going to do? Is owning and operating a restaurant in town as an illegal immigrant, and the business was in his wife's name. But this was not like it was an unknown issue for police. The guy had been deported twice before. Right, and uh, you know what? Honestly, he, he probably did something, you know, you got to get their eye. Well, I mean, well, I don't want to get into all that. It's messy, but he probably did some other stuff to get their attention in the first place when he got deported the other two times. At trial, the defense tried to paint Chino as this hardworking family man who had come to America chasing the American dream. Jesse Heater is scheduled to spend his life in prison for the murder of Joshua Oberg. Siren took a plea deal for voluntary manslaughter and conspiracy to commit the concealment of Oberg's body and was given like a much lighter sentence. I honestly agree with that, how that's washing out. I mean, really, uh, poor Siren. He Maybe he, there's some things he could have done earlier on to help this but you know once once it popped off it was already done you know the next thing he knows he shoots him it's on you know his cousin's beating his ass with a damn pistol so he's been he's been terrorized off the so i mean there it's not like he even knew about the plan didn't say anything right and he had ample opportunity after the fact to go turn himself in and to tell police what had happened yeah and so from that part i do blame him he should yeah because well, that, that's where he could have done I understand like where he was in all of this, but at the same time, you owe it to yourself and to the victim to come forward and be like, This is what happened. As soon as you can safely get away from that person and, and get your you know, uh, woman and your kids somewhere for the moment, because they're, they're gonna scoop their ass up. So you got yeah, that's where he really could have done more. Now another layer to this story. Oh my god. A 24-year-old named Luke Stout left his residence on Hickory Flat Road outside of Buckhannon, West Virginia between 3 and 5 p.m. on July 18th of 2012. He told his mother and brother that he loved them and he would be back later in the day. He was last seen walking down the driveway carrying a green bicycle frame. He had made plans to get a ride to meet a friend and fix this bicycle. He planned to give the repaired bicycle to his friend, and then his friend would help him fix his own bicycle, which he had damaged the handlebars and had left, like, in town. Wow, that's like a badass BMX scene there. Stout has never been heard from again. After a few days, his brothers find his bicycle leaning against a trailer, which was behind a pharmacy in Buckhannon. It had not been repaired. So they find the frame, just like he carried it off. And hadn't been anything done to it. 
Well, okay, that's weird. Why do all these people have awesome names? Prior to his disappearance, Stout had told people that Chino had threatened him by holding a gun to his forehead. Stout attempted to file a police report, but they turned him away. The police didn't feel it was sufficient to warrant any kind of intervention. Uh, why? It was just one of those, like, your word against his. You don't have any witnesses that he pulled a gun. I mean, they just blew him off. This is where you investigate. This is where you... Oh, my God. This is one of the small town... I'm sorry. We're too lazy to do our job there, situations, I, it sounds I like. I really think it's a culture because it is small town. Like we, we discussed this just the other day, talked about it again. There's a lot of good cops in small towns who go above and beyond. But there's just, I think even they flounder in a department that has this culture, limited resources, small town politics, and they just don't, it's like they don't fucking try. It's like they don't do the basics of uh, investigation. Yeah, whether it's just apathy or... Ignorance. You're from the wrong side of the track, so I don't give a shit. Yeah, that happens around here. But it's it's like a systematic issue, it seems. Yeah, so many people that are tied to the drug community here in our small town found mysteriously dead. Yeah, they could overdose. It does happen, sadly. But some of them are very mysterious and weird. They're all found in Creek. So we, I mean, this is just like a little uh, side note. Uh, you know, we're getting we're off on talk a tangent about that here. One day. We will. But in the town where we live, there have been multiple people who have had connections to the drug world. Yeah, they're doing drugs. That selling drugs are mysteriously found dead, and their bodies are in creeks and streams. Yeah, and then they're like. Uh, just not dressed for the weather and yeah, it's like winter. Like they're in their underwear or and they're shorts. like laying in a creek. Yeah, which is just really odd. Now, and of course, it's like, oh well, they just overdosed and died. Who cares? Case closed. Yeah, and then you know, there's undercurrents and the rumor mills and stuff that that's absolutely not what happened. So, right, and you know you have to take those rumors with a grain of salt, but sometimes there's some truth. People know. People talk just like this when you're in a small town. All you got to do is pick that top layer off. run their mouths. Pull that thread and the whole thing unravels. You know what? Here's a fucking crazy idea, guys. Take them a couple of days instead of sitting on the corner waiting to pull everybody going two miles over the speed limit or because their tags a few days out of date. Well, yeah, they can make money off of that. Yeah, instead of doing that, why don't you damn dig into some of this and do some damn police work? Why are we not cops, I'm getting... God, I'm swelling up, girl. I'm about to hulk out on these bitches. I know. Oh, damn. I know. We're we're wow. we're on a, a tirade. We'll stop. I'm gonna bring Let's it back. Let's get back down. to the story. So, Sorry. police didn't feel it was sufficient to warrant any kind of intervention. They didn't do anything about this report that Chino had threatened him with a gun. Now, Chino pleaded guilty in 2015 in connection with this January 2012 disappearance and murder of Joshua Oberg. The victim's body wasn't found until July 23rd, which was five days after Luke Stout's disappearance. Because Oberg was having an affair with Kelly, Chino hired these two guys who happened to be cousins of his wife. Chino's a douche. To and he- kill Joshua Oberg, and then he gets sentenced to prison. Now, Stout also knew Kelly, and there were rumors that they had been seeing each other at some point prior to Stout's disappearance. This has not been verified, and Chino has not been linked to this case, but it's out there. Draw your own conclusions. 
it's uncharacteristic of Stout to leave without warning. He's a very devoted person to his family. He lives and cares for his mother, who is terminally ill. Okay. I mean, he definitely is her caregiver, has devoted his life to taking care of his sick mother. So he sounds like a stand-up guy. He's a skilled carpenter. He'd been practicing the trade for several years. He's also described as, like, very artistic. I mean, this he sounds like a really good dude. Right, just a good, solid guy you can count on. I mean, uh, that's, a, that's a big deal to care for your sickly elderly mom. I mean, that's a full-time job on top of having a full-time job. So that takes a lot of dedication. Kelly, Chino's wife, is no stranger to law enforcement herself. Since her husband's conviction, she has had her own run-ins with law enforcement, mostly for possession of drugs. So they didn't even reopen the Stout case after this. all this rest of this washed out and Chino is connected to hiring someone to kill? It's still open and just considered like a missing persons case. See, that's, that's that right there. I mean, come on, guys. I mean, come the fuck on. And you know what? That girl's poon nanny is getting people killed. It's dangerous. And Chino can't satisfy a woman. That's obvious. Or she wouldn't be running around looking everywhere else for it. I just had to say that. Well, it just seems to me that she obviously has issues with monogamy right yeah and instead of fucking around like she should just leave her husband and instead of hiring someone to kill these other dudes or this one dude just leave this girl why don't you just kick her ass out oh he could but well the all everything he has is tied up in the well that's true it's It's in her her name name. he's illegal he has no legal recourse i mean get some balls Go do something else, Well, then why that bitch ain't dead? Yeah, I know. Put her down. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. That's terrible to say. You shouldn't kill anybody. Well, no. That's what you're saying. But I'm just saying, like, why does it make sense to kill this guy? Like, if your wife's the one fucking around and everything's in her name, then, like, why is she not the target of your wrath? Well, yeah, and you just can't keep killing people. I mean, you got to be like, this is not going to work. This is uh, untenable. She's not going to lock that shit down. She need to put that stuff away. You know, when people say things like, uh, you know, you can't keep it in your pants. I just imagine like this tiny little um, lady part. Yeah. Or penis. Oh, yeah. This little little labia and and, like little penis and they just jump out of your pants and they're like running around the room. And you're like a cartoon character like trying to chase it. And you're like, get back in there, you little rascal. And you're trying to like shove it back in your pants. Yeah. It's like my white privilege keeps getting out. Is that what happens? It always shows up behind me sometimes. Well, this has been our first murder for hire case. Oh man, yeah, and it's it, it's sad. I mean, we we kidded around and talked a little mess about. Well, no, I feel terrible for this guy Joshua Oberg because one, do we even know for a fact that he was having an affair? It's probably just, it could be suspicious. He's a third party here. He, I mean, he's not married to her. He's it, not married to this guy. Like, it's not really his problem if this woman's fucking around on her husband. Right, that's the way I look at it. He's just there. He's a young dude. He was probably handsome. He was new to town. Yeah, he was a very, I mean, he was not a very bad looking guy at all. Like, he was a cute guy. Very clean cut. And it could have just been. uh, Seemed like he came from a good family. I'm going to guess Chino's probably not the most secure individual in the world. So, like you said, who even knows if he was actually. And if he was, that doesn't give you a right to do what you did. But it's just um, like his last words are why. Total, total confusion. Well, exactly. I mean, that's disgusting. That's that's horrible. 
and there's this whole culture in in the hospitality like the restaurant service industry there's a lot of fucking around in restaurants oh yeah yeah that's um you better have your shit on lock if your girl goes to works in that industry i'm gonna go ahead and tell you that take care of her well, if anybody does. I mean, I know that over the years <laughs> in college and uh, high school, college. Oh, my God. I've worked in the restaurant scene oh over God. the years here and there. And there's a lot of this. What You've are got you trying the to kitchen say? staff flirting with the wait staff, the wait staff flirting with the kitchen staff. You've got regular customers coming in, flirting with the bartender. And there's a lot of bed hopping. It just happens. Oh God. I look at you in a different light now. Dylan, shut up. This is, oh, my God. I'm going to arrange your murder. I'm not working in a restaurant right now. Well, I don't have $5,000 to get anybody to kill you, so. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they'll take it. I'm just saying. Yeah. But this is a. It's true. This is definite, like, there's a culture of this. Well, and they hang out with each other. They work strange hours. They drink. They, they go party, back to somebody's house. They, and, yeah. yeah. It's a thing. So if you're going to own a restaurant and your wife's going to be an active part of that and you're going to be an active part of that, you're going to have to be pretty secure. And it's just like any relationship if you want to damn have sex with someone else you don't want to be monogamous you don't want to be committed to this person break up divorce separate your assets because this kind of shit is what happens it's true this is what happens oh my god well, if you can't get enough of Mountain Murders, you can always find us on Patreon, look up Mountain Murders Podcast, and get bonus content. We rearranged uh, our levels, our tiers for our patrons, and we've been pumping out more content over there, especially with the coronavirus scare. Well, but we know a lot people of stuff are over there. indoors. Yeah. And we want to give you guys some extra episodes, some different things to listen to if you're at our highest level. Not only do you get bonus Heather and Dylan episodes, but I've been doing like a bit of a solo, kind of a mini episode. Oh my God, you're getting people ready for when you kill me. And I've been pumping those out. So you can go listen to some of those as well on Patreon. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We're now on TikTok. Also, our live show is coming up in May. Now, at this point, we're not sure how that's going to be handled. If you've already purchased tickets, we will refund your money and we will reschedule that live show. As of now, it's still on the books, but we'll keep you posted what the schedule is going to be like for the live show. Yeah, because we're just like everybody else. We're getting direction from the governor and the federal government at the moment. So they'll let us know what we can do. That's true. Well, stay safe, folks. Keep those hands washed. Practice that social distancing. Hang in there. I know times are tough. We're all going to make it. We're going to pull through together. Yes, we're going to be fine. Look out for your loved ones who may be at risk with health issues. And don't sneeze or cough on me. Bye.